0: Today we're beginning a new series. Uh, a few weeks ago, somebody asked me if I'd ever preached on a certain passage, um, from Romans. And, um, cause I, and I said, oh yeah, I'm sure I would have done that. I'm pretty sure I preached my way through Romans. After all, it's a pretty important book. So I'll go home and I'll, um, I'll find it for you and I'll, I'll get it to you to have a read or a listen. Anyway, I got home and started rummaging through my sermons and I discovered I've never Preached my way through the book of Romans. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I read it a couple of times every year as I do my daily Bible readings. I, I, um, I've, I've taken numerous Bible study groups through the book of Romans. But to my shame, I've never taken a church through Romans in a preaching program. Um, in, in my opinion, the book of Romans is one of the most important books of the Bible. Uh, Without Paul's letter to the Romans, we'd have very little understanding about why Jesus died on the cross. It it explains more fully than any other book of the Bible about how Jesus Christ saves us. It, It explains the work of God, it explains grace and mercy and faith and it explains the righteousness of God. John Calvin, one of the reformers, said, if a man understands the book of Romans, he has a sure road open for him to understanding the whole of scripture. All right? So in his opinion, if you can get this and understand Romans, it'll put the rest of scripture into perspective for you. William Tyndale, uh, the father of the English Bible translators, believed that every Christian should learn off by heart the book of Romans. Um, I haven't, by the way, so... I'm a very poor Christian by his standard. Uh, But he said, the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. And the book of Romans, it has power to change lives. In the summer of the year 386, a brilliant professor of rhetoric sat weeping in the garden of his friend. He wanted to begin a new life, but he, he just wasn't Able, he didn't have the strength to break with his old life. And coming from the distance, he heard what he thought was like a child's sing song voice saying, Take and read, take it up and read. And he looked around, and there before him was a scroll. And he opened it up, and it was Paul's letter to the Romans. And he began reading Romans chapter 13 where it says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. No further would I read, he wrote, nor had I any need. Instantly, at this end, the end of this sentence, a clear light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. And Augustine Aurelus, who became known as St. Augustine or Augustine of Hippo, um, gave his life to Jesus and he became one of Christianity's most prominent authors and theologians. In the year 1515, a Roman Catholic monk began to teach his students from from the book of Romans. But there was a phrase that he struggled with, the, the righteousness of God. Every time he read about the righteousness of God, it just upset him because he understood that the righteousness of God was something that could only alienate him from God because God is righteous. God is just. Therefore, whereas me, I'm a miserable sinner. And I deserve to be punished. And and he thought that the righteousness of God could only condemn him and judge him and punish him as the miserable sinner that he was. But as he studied the book of Romans, he finally grasped what this righteousness of God was. He grasped that in Christ, the righteousness of God is given to us. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as the failures that we are, he sees us as righteous. He wrote, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us with faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole scripture took on new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage in Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. And two years later, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle in Wittenberg and the Protestant Reformation began. In the evening of May the 24th, 1738, a man went very unwillingly to a society in August, Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to Romans. And a quarter before nine, he wrote in his journal, while I was describing, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart Strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that, that He had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And that man, John Wesley, became a great evangelical preacher. He was instrumental in the, in the great evangelical revival of the 18th century. He was the founder of the Methodist movement. And most importantly, we have a John Wesley here today who's named after him. Is that right, John? We <laughs> have to ask Gordon. <laughs> He's the one responsible for naming you. Now, so the book of Romans has influenced so many important people in so many marvelous ways. I don't know what God's going to do in your heart or, in, or what he's going to do in my heart as we study the book of Romans. But as I read those testimonies, I could see very clearly that there was a common thread that ran through those testimonies. And they were all people who were wanting God to do something. They were, they were searching the scriptures. They were craving God. They were craving an experience of God in a new way. Desiring and longing to be brought into a deeper relationship with Christ and that's exactly what happened. The book of Romans is a book that we're going to have to wrestle with. It's not an easy book. Um, I had a theology lecturer at Bible College and he used to use the word dense, not about the book of Romans, but he'd read some theologian and I'd go, huh? But, But... He would always say, now this is very dense, (laughs) not dense as in stupid, but dense as in just packed full of stuff, and, and you've really got to sort through it to get it. Heavy, dense, heavy, yep. So it's a book that we have to wrestle with. It's a very theological book. It teaches us a lot about God. It's a book that describes the depths of the riches of the grace and mercy of God. And sometimes we might find ourselves a little bit out of depth. We may find that in places, no matter how much we struggle to try and understand it, we find ourselves a little bit lost and and feel that maybe I might be just a bit unable to fully comprehend the depth of what Paul is trying to say to us. And so my prayer as we begin this new series is that our hearts, that your heart and my heart would be open to the Holy Spirit, be open for the Holy Spirit, not just to give us understanding, but but also so that we would be craving for the Holy Spirit to be touching our lives and to be drawing us into a deeper and deeper experience of the grace and the mercy and the righteousness of God. We will be engaging our minds um, as we wrestle with Romans. There's no doubt about that. But we'll also be engaging our hearts and our emotions Uh, because as we begin to understand the significance of the gospel, as explained in Romans, the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, we, we won't be able to help but feel loved by God to be feel deeply loved by this God who gave everything for us. And we should also begin to feel wonderfully holy. Now, there are four important questions that I always ask myself when I begin to study one of the letters in the Bible. Who wrote it? Who is it written to? Why was it written? So what's its purpose? And what is the main theme of the letter? Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot more questions as we, from particular passages as we work our way through the letter. But but this is where I always begin. I want to know the answers to those four questions. And with Romans, the first two questions are very easily and quickly answered because right there in the first paragraph, we're told by Paul that. OK, so we know that it's written by the Apostle Paul and we know that he wrote it to the church in Rome. Now, he wasn't writing it to all the Romans, right? We call it Romans, but it's a letter to the, to the Christians in Rome. What's the address? I've actually written them. To those in Rome who are called by God and called to be saints. That's the address of the letter. See, Paul had no interest in the, in the Roman Empire. He had no interest in, in it being uh, the, the place, the cap, its capital, the seat of power. He was writing to a church in Rome. He is writing to those who are called to be Christians, who are called to be holy. So the first two questions are easy to answer. The third one, however, the purpose of Paul writing the letter is much more elusive. He doesn't actually tell us why he wrote the letter. In fact, it might seem strange that he's writing this letter at all because most times that Paul wrote a letter to a church, he was writing a letter to a church that he had established, a church that he had planted. But here he's writing to a church that he's never even visited before. See, Paul didn't plant this church in Rome. In fact, we don't know who planted the church in Rome. So what do we know about this church in Rome? Well, in the second chapter of Acts, we can read about when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Pentecost was a great harvest festival um, that the the Jews held every year. And the Jews and the converts to Judaism, including visitors from Rome, were in Jerusalem for for the great harvest festival. And they were there that day when the Holy Spirit came. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and he got up and he preached out in the streets that day. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they heard Peter speak, many accepted that message. And we're told that 3,000 people were baptised that day. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to baptise 3,000 people here today. We're just not enough people. Anyway, so almost certainly the church in Rome began as jewish christians returned home from that pentecost harvest festival so the roman church had jewish roots but we know from the contents of this letter and we'll come across it further on as we work our way through it that paul is addressing some issues that had arisen between jews and gentiles who were trying to live together as christians right so there's jews and gentiles and it seems they have issues In the year 49 AD, all of the Jews were expelled from Rome. As we started the book of Acts, um, towards the end of last year, we did this bit. We came across Priscilla and Aquila. Can you remember Priscilla and Aquila? Some of you can. Paul met up with them in Corinth. And this husband and wife were Jewish Christians who had been expelled from Rome, right? But around about 54 AD, the Jews were allowed back into Rome again, right? So for, for seven years, they weren't allowed there, but then they were allowed back in again, right? So the church had had a very changing character. It began with Jewish roots and... and almost certainly the leadership were Jewish, but then the Jews were run out of town. And so the leadership had to be taken on by the Gentile Christians and the whole character of the church would have changed. But then the Jews were allowed to come back to Rome again. Now, can you imagine what what kind of upheaval that would be in a church um, when a certain group were who had a jewish perspective were leaders of the church and then they leave so then the gentiles take up leadership and then the jews come back again and they're wanting to do things the way that they used to do it and the gentiles are wanting to keep doing things the way that they have learnt to do it and so and if we when we read chapters 11 and 14 and 15 we're going to see paul addressing some issues to do with the relationships between the jewish christians and the gentile christians But I don't believe that this was the only purpose for writing the letter. I suspect the purpose was twofold. As a pastor and as an apostle, Paul was always working to build disciples of Jesus up in their faith. Um, And he tells them that he's been praying for them. Right? He's never even visited them. He's never even met them, but he's been praying for them. And the instruction he gives, where well, we can see that he's wanting to build them up in their faith. And we can be built up in our faith as we read this book of Romans. But I suspect that Paul's main purpose was to introduce himself to the church in Rome. Paul has been wanting to get to Rome for a long time. It keeps popping up in letters. I'm hoping to get to Rome. I'm hoping to get to Rome. Uh, He's been wanting to get to Rome for a long time and he's telling the Roman church that he's wanting to come and visit them. Now, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Things probably won't work out so well for me there. But I'm wanting to go on mission into Spain and I'm hoping to pop in on you on the way. Now, of course, when he did finally make it to Rome, um, he had an all expensive paid trip by the emperor because he was a prisoner. Right? He'd been arrested and he'd been taken to Rome to put on trial. And we read all about that as we studied Acts a few months ago. But whenever Paul was going to go on mission, like he was wanting to go into Spain, whenever he was going to go somewhere where there were no churches and he was going to be planting churches, he always looked for a church that was nearby that could be his base, a church that could send him out and give other people to go along with him on his missionary trips into these nearby regions. And most Bible scholars believe that Paul was writing to the church in Rome so that they could get to know him. He was basically putting out his credentials. Hey, this is who I am. This is what I believe. So that they could then have confidence that Paul had a good, solid understanding of the Christian faith. And so that, so that they could trust Paul to be somebody that they could then send out as a missionary in the field. Now, I understand this Um, sometimes occasionally I'll get an offer from somebody that I don't know wanting to come and speak to our church or or to go on some kind of mission in the district and for us to say yes yes we're on board with that and before I give my approval it's important that I know well well, what do you believe what what are you going to be preaching are they going to be preaching the true gospel or are they going to be teaching untruths and half-truths that are just going to cause more damage to Jesus's church than good. And so this letter to the church in Rome is filled with theological richness. As Paul tells the church in Rome what he believes the gospel to be. Which brings us to the theme. Sue just said to me before, I really had trouble thinking what to do with this kid story because it just seems to be so much. What am I going to do the kid story on? And that was what I ran into with trouble, with how am I going to describe to you the theme? There has to be a main theme in the letter. There always is. Whenever you read one of the letters, you'll always find that there's a main theme. But how does one summarize Romans? It explains individual salvation. How do I be saved? But it's more than that. It talks about the mystical union of Christians as a whole reconciled to Christ. But it's more than that. It addresses how Jews and Gentiles can cohere and live together as one people of God. But it's more than that. It's preparing a mission base. And a lot of what is written is all what's at the heart of mission. But it's more than that. It teaches us ethics. There are some great sections in there about obedience and and how we as Christians should live. But it's more than that. And I was beginning to despair as I read Romans over and over again. And I read commentary after commentary after commentary. How can I summarize the theme of Romans? It's so vast and it pulls in so much teaching about Christ and about what it means to be a Christian. How do I summarize it? then I read a commentary by Douglas Moo and he stated the exact problem that I'd been grappling with. What's the theme? It's so vast. And the answer was so simple. The theme is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the theme. So if you want to know the gospel, study the book of Romans. That's what we're going to be doing. See, the gospel of Jesus includes individual salvation, but it's more than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ includes Christians as a whole being reconciled together with Christ, but it's more than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ addresses how very different people can cohere and be together as one people of God, but it's more than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ holds at its heart this thing we call mission. But it's more than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ includes obedience to God, but it's more than obedience. It's about faith and grace and mercy and righteousness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all of these things. And if we try to separate them, then we haven't heard and we haven't received the whole gospel. And we're going to have to break it up and look at little sections of it at a time. But I, what I want to try and guard against is that none of us will compartmentalize it. So we'll hear one message on one particular paragraph and say, there it is, that little bit there, that's the gospel. Because we have to hear this book. As the whole gospel the whole of it is the gospel so there we have it uh, that's an introduction um, now there's so much 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 more that i could say but let's pray instead lord jesus christ we thank you we praise you for the good news of the gospel And Lord, we pray that as we study this letter to the church in Rome, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and that you would open our minds to the fullness of your gospel. And we ask, Lord, that we would encounter you in a very real and very personal way and that we as a church will be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be a church in a manner that will glorify you in this world. We ask this in the name of our Saviour, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.